Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Yeah, I ate a foot-long sub with a lot of hot peppers on it before I came here. We are on a time limit. <laughs> the wick has been let. <laughs> well, that's the start of the episode. <laughs> so, you know, that's what I'm using. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, especially on a record heat wave, it's pretty bold of you to come into this small studio space with a uh, a foot-long with hot peppers in here. The, a time where I wish we were recording remotely. That's not at all risky for me. Evan. We're on the clock. I know. <laughs> this might be where we perish. <laughs> All right, folks. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. We have a good one for you today. Uh, we're joined by Daniela Bruce later on this episode. Uh, we're here to talk to you all things Red Wings hockey, the crazy world of the NHL. Uh, the only flames that we're talking about today are the Calgary flames, not uh, something. There's a tie-in with a heat joke here, but I'm not clever enough. I'm Ryan Hanna. That joke would have worked a lot better if you used the actual intro. I'm Brad Crisco. <laughs> and I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we are going to be chatting with Daniela Bruce from the Word on Woodward uh, and the Detroit Red Wings and the Detroit Tigers uh, about the Red Wings development camp. Uh, her stories, notes, analysis from the Red Wings prospects, the Red Wings future taking the ice in a concerted way for the first time in a, in a while. And uh, we'll be chatting a little bit about that, as well as the ongoing downfall of the Calgary Flames. The sad dome. The sad dome. I saw those lights. That was funny. And, uh, you know, we have Brad's favorite trade trade proposals. I have some good ones for you, Brad. I enjoy <laughs> trade proposals in small doses. And uh, and then some news, some more news around the uh, NHL and wherever else the conversation takes us. Before we do that, I, of course, want to recognize, as always, that this uh, podcast is very, very proud to support the Jamie Daniels Foundation. The more we talk about substance use disorder, the faster we can end the stigma and get support to those in need. The Jamie Daniels Foundation is a children's foundation initiative that was established in memory of Jamie Daniels and founded by Jamie's father and Red Wings lead announcer, Ken Daniels. Daniels and Jamie's mother, Lisa Daniels Goldman. They strive to end the stigma of substance use disorder and provide support to those struggling with the disease or who are in recovery. To learn more and offer your support, visit jamiedanielsfoundation.org. Completely off topic, but I golfed yesterday with a guy who sounded exactly like Ken Daniels. Oh. I first time I met him, like when he introduced himself, I almost took pause because I was like, someone has abducted. Ken Daniels' voice and put it in this man. No, please, no. Take anything else, not his voice. That's yeah, what we need. It was it was crazy. Ken, this is uh, that's Evan slightly hinting that we uh, we all need to get out on a golf outing soon, maybe before the summer. That's over. correct. Yes. Yeah. Um, before we start the episode, I actually owe the listeners an apology. We we have our bits on this show and we take digs at each other mainly, but I realize that some people might uh, extrapolate from that. And I want you to know that when we call Brad old, I mean it. We yeah, Brad is Brad. You're what 109 soon. Yes, so you are 35. Yes, and if you you the listener are 35, you are young. You are thriving. You have your whole life ahead of you. I had some people in the comments that are like, "Oh, I'm I'm 52 this year. I'm 69." Nice. You guys are full of vitality, guys and girls, full of vitality, full of life. Brad, dust. This has nothing to do with the actual age spectrum. It's just Brad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You want to go run a 10k? No, no. Nope. Neither do I. Thank God you said no. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, 
So please know that when we're mean to Brad, it's because we mean it. Just to Brad. <laughs> yes. Okay, but in all seriousness, uh, to start... R- Ryan says that. It's just a fear of his own future because you're dangerously close to 30, aren't you? Oh, man. That's <laughs> when it all goes downhill, but... <laughs> Everything I do is projection. 100%. I'm right there with you. I leave the door open on insults coming back. Yeah, it's okay. No, I try to be a good friend, though. That's why I chopped off most of my hair in support of you today. Jeez. I did deserve that one. (laughs) I cut his brakes. Like I said, I only get in like one a month. I just make sure it counts. Okay, uh, why don't we open this episode with a discussion about the Red Wings development camp. Uh, We're joined by Daniela Bruce. Uh, Like we mentioned, it is a really good insight into the camp, what happened over there and what we can expect. Um, Obviously, the camp took place in the middle of the the fury of Red Wings signings and coming right off the draft. So uh, it's nice to recap and appreciate Daniela coming on to do that. So without further ado, our interview with Daniela Bruce about Red Wings development camp. Daniela, this is the most uh, scene-appropriate interview we've ever had. You're actually in the arena ready for us. Yeah, exactly right when we started doing this, too. Whoever is – I think Roger Waters is here on Saturday. Not sure if he's rehearsing now, but – Someone is in there rehearsing. So yes, you are going to get some noise from live action at Little Caesars Arena today. <laughs> That's all right. We'll take it just for the location. Yeah. Uh, f- folks, we're joined not for the first time, but uh, a returning guest here by Dan- with Daniela Bruce, digital reporter and producer for the Detroit Red Wings and the Tigers. Uh, you all, of course, know who she is. Daniela, thank you so much uh, for joining us. I'm so excited to be here, you guys. Thank you for having me back. And we have uh, Brad and Evan here as well. Uh, Daniela, it has been a whirlwind. We were just talking about it before hitting record. It has been a whirlwind of a time over the past few weeks. And that's from us kind of on the outside. You're you're inside the organization, just right next to everything happening. What's What's your life been like? It has been really hectic. I was out of town when Derek Lalone was named head coach. So that was one thing I kind of got to view from the outside, but still it started there, right? And then the draft happened and that was really exciting. And then we were at development camp for six days, five days, six days, which was an amazing experience. I think we took development camp for granted back when it was happening every season. And now that we haven't had it since 2019, we had a lot of fun covering at this time. And the players were really excited to be there. Prospects that were drafted in 2020 had never been to a development camp. So they were super excited to be there. So let's start there. And that's, of course, what we want to talk about mainly today is the Red Wings. uh, The tagline for the last little bit has been the future is now or the future is coming at the very least. And that development camp with such a wide swath of ages, guys who have played in pro leagues and players where this is their first real taste against uh, potentially pro competition. What was the overall event like, especially with it coming back for the first time in a while and and what were some interesting things that you noticed? Well, it was definitely really fun. It was great to have everybody in the same place. I know that they went through like a cooking class, the prospects that is, that that was all set up down in the players club. So they were really excited to do that with our team nutritionist, Lisa McDowell. So that kind of stuff was going on through most of the week. They were just out on the ice running through different skating drills and learning, you know, different drills just to enhance their skills a little bit, learn some things to take back with them and to their respective teams. But the fun part was the 3v3 tournament on Thursday, which was an absolute blast to cover me and Ken Kell and Art Regner handled that. But you got to see a lot of these prospects for the first time, especially Simon Edmondson. It was his first day at development camp. The first time I have seen him in person and guys, he did tell me that he is 199 centimeters. I'm going to round that up to 200 centimeters because why not? And the math translate to six, six, 
So I he he added some size since we drafted him. So he's definitely big. He, he skates flawlessly. I'm really excited to see what he's going to do come training camp. And hey, the World Juniors tournament. I keep forgetting about that too. Now that it's happening in a couple of weeks, so it's going to be an exciting time to see some of these young prospects over there and then training camp again. Well, Simon has officially uh, sized himself out of being a winged wheel podcast host, unfortunately. Too tall for us. <laughs> yeah, well, he did tell us, too. We asked him about Elmer Soderblom, and he said, this guy's a mountain that likes to score goals. So the Red Wings are getting a mountain that likes to score goals, and I think we can all appreciate that. Absolutely. Let's let's start by talking about Marco Casper because I'm sure that's what the focus was right at the beginning. Uh, not too long ago, he was drafted eighth overall by the Red Wings, and we immediately got a look of him, uh, look at him at development camp. And a lot of the buzz and a lot of the analysis about him coming out of it has been this guy is probably closer to pro ready than most other prospects in, in his draft class. What was your uh, take and analysis on on Marco Casper's camp and and where he kind of is? I mean, distance from the NHL. Well, he's really smart, number one. Some of the plays he made, you could just tell his vision's great. He knows where the puck should be and when, and when it's on his stick, he's excellent with it. He scored a couple of goals in the three-on-three tournament. So he showed those offensive capabilities, which I know some people were questioning just because of his lack of ice time in Rogla last year. And he's competing for that ice time. And the Red Wings staff, they're expecting him to go back next season and have a way bigger role with that Rogla team. So you're going to see the offense start coming as he's playing more minutes. But just his character was excellent too. the way he addressed the media. He's 17 years old. He hasn't even graduated high school yet. And to think about that, he he's just, he's excellent in that sense too. So I think, I think the Red Wings really did get a good one. Like I, like you said, there were some, you know, saying that he's the closest to pro ready. Definitely think he needs at least that another year in Rogla and see how it goes from there. But I wouldn't be surprised if he's over here for training camp next season, just to see, you know, where he's at, maybe playing in Grand Rapids, but he definitely had the vision that he was smart and, Chris Draper described him as playing well in big moments. The thing they liked about him is as the season progressed and games got bigger and they started to mean more, Marco Casper played better, which is a great sign because it shows not only that you're a skilled hockey player, but you've got leadership and your teammates can depend on you. It's a compete level that's naturally there. That's something you can't teach. And we know that's something that's super important to the Red Wings, especially when they're drafting players. I know leading up to the draft, uh, we watched a ton of video and read every scouting report on the face of the earth. So we we got a pretty good feel for what Marco Casper was as a player. So you adding all those intangibles is really nice. Was there one part of his skill set, though, in terms of skating, stick handling, something like that, that jumped out you that you were thinking, that's better than people advertised? Well, he was a great skater. He was. And I mean, when you're watching a three on three tournament, it's, it's happening so fast. So sometimes, you know, you don't get a great analysis of each player, but the thing I really noticed was his vision. Like I mentioned before, he made some excellent passes, things that don't always result in goals. Right. But he knew where the puck should be and when it felt like he had been playing with these guys for years, but he's probably only known them for hours at that point. You know what I mean? So I think just the way that he sees the game is something that everybody should pay attention to as he comes up the ranks. I know all eyes were on Edvinson and Casper at this development camp, but was there anyone else who stood out to you as someone to keep uh, keep tabs on? 
Yeah, I should quickly add that Marco Casper's shot was excellent too. He had a couple quick releases on the goals. His shot was great. So that's another great feature to have. But Amadeus um, Lombardi, I don't think we can talk about development camp without talking about him. He had a hat trick in the first game of the three on three tournament that he played in, adding an assist there too. And he was a fourth round pick in the 2022 draft. So you look at him and you think, man, you know, is, is this guy going to be one of those diamond in the rough kind of things? Are you going to get a gem out of this draft drafting him in the fourth round? But he was also just a great guy. I don't know if you saw the interview I did with him after the game on Twitter. He was so excited. He messaged me on Instagram after that and said, thank you so much for interviewing me. Like that was so cool. One of the best experiences. Can't wait for September. Like he is so excited to be a part of the Red Wings organization. And Chris Draper told me that his family was very familiar with, you know, the 97, 98 team, Chris Draper, the grind line, Steve Eiserman. So when they drafted Amadeus, I think they talked to his dad before they actually got the chance to talk to him because his dad was so excited about his son joining this organization. So he definitely was a standout for me. And then Donovan Sabrango was also a standout. We know a lot about him. He's been in the organization for a couple of years. But again, he's one of those guys that was drafted in 2020 that we didn't get to see in person. And he seemed like he was a step above everybody development wise, just because of the fact that he's been playing in Grand Rapids. I think that helps a lot having that AHL experience, like a year and a half of experience. He just seemed like he was a leader out there and he was just a little further along in the development process. Amadeus Lombardi scored a Michigan too. Uh, he scored a Michigan goal too, right? He did. Yep. He did. Oh, he did that's a good way to start camp. <laughs> so yeah, it's funny you bring up Sabrango and Lombardi because those two have had polar opposite development, uh, path development paths sabrango playing his first pro season at 18 amadeus lombardi playing his first season above minor hockey at age 18 comparing the two since those were the two you brought up do you did lombardi specifically talk about what his plan is going forward because he spent his 16 year old year in minor hockey his 17 year old year in the ohl got canceled to covid and then he played his Overage draft year was his first OHL year. Did he talk about what his development plan is going forward since he's so far behind the curve relative to other players his age? I believe the plan is to, to play another year in Flint because I did ask him what he plans to take with him to Flint, but he also mentioned being there in September. So, I, I mean, that could be prospects tournament too. So I'd imagine that the Red Wings are going to see what he has at this prospects tournament. He's probably going to go play another season at Flint, which is just around the corner. So you can definitely keep tabs on his development pretty easily here. And then maybe next year he'll, he'll make it to camp and see if he can, you know, hang in Grand Rapids or something along those lines. But I definitely think he still is going to take another year of June. Um, and that is, again, that's not confirmed, but I would imagine that would be the plan unless he wows everybody in September and finds his way to the Griffins. So the goaltending was obviously highlighted primarily by Sebastian Cosa. He is the future and really only notable name for the Red Wings at camp uh, this past well, this past camp. And that's not a, a, a just towards Carter Guylander, but just in terms of the, the draft stock that the Red Wings have put in Kosa. He's had quite a bit of hockey that he's played recently. How did he look at camp and uh, how comfortable was he against the varying levels of competition? So Sebastian Kosa, I, I wouldn't, I think if you asked him, he would probably say he didn't have a great development camp. And I'm sure that um, those who watched the stream saw that. And I mean, um, I don't think he was bad. We've seen what he can do when he's playing, when he was with Edmonton in their playoff run. So I don't think it's anything to be alarmed about. I definitely just think he needs some, some more development as most goaltenders do when you draft them. And I think 
Steve Eiserman knows that. We can tell that he wasn't really expecting Sebastian Costa to be ready within the next few seasons with the signing of Vili Huso or the trade for Vili Huso, I should say. So it looks like the Red Wings have a tandem that can work until Sebastian Costa is ready for that next level. Could he play in Grand Rapids? I would imagine that that would be an option for them. I think they would probably want him to be either in Edmonton or in or I guess the WHL as a whole, but, um, or in the AHL next year. So we'll see what happens with him at camp and where they decide to place him. But I definitely think he, he struggled a little bit at development camp. But like I said, it didn't really alarm me very much. I think what we've seen from him in the big moments when he's had to play in the playoffs has been excellent. And we shouldn't worry too much. Like I said, he's a goaltender. He's going to need some time to develop and he's really big. He's got to figure out how to use his body correctly, right? Like he is, he is huge. And yes, he takes up the whole net, but sometimes when he's down, like he's leaving holes on his glove side or his blockers aren't exactly in the right spot. So and the other prospects were picking up on that throughout the tournament. I think they were beating him glove side um, and high almost every shot and every goal that he let in. So there's just certain things that he still needs to work on, but I would not be worried yet. That is definitely not what Red Wings fans should be worried about at this point. And uh, another big name, we've already talked about him. He added size, Simon Edmondson. A lot of people are looking for him next season to do something similar to what Moritz Sider did, which is come in and make the team. I think expectations shouldn't go too much far beyond that. But what's your take on Edmondson? And, and you know, Eisenman didn't give him an easy path forward. This roster is getting pretty full. How do you see him challenging for a roster spot in this coming upcoming season? Well, we didn't get to see too much of him at development camp, unfortunately, but what we did see is he looks very poised. He skates really well. He breaks out the puck really well. And again, it's three on three. So it's a little bit different than what you would see in a five on five situation, but it's been said by Steve Eiserman. It's been said by Chris Draper, Dan Cleary, that he is going to have every opportunity to make this, this roster, just like Mo Sider did it last season. So I think that he, he's going to challenge for a roster spot. And I, I think he's going to make it. I don't see him going to Grand Rapids. I really don't. I think he's going to um, come in and kind of challenge some of our, our veteran players. And now, like you said, the, the blue line, the core is getting kind of full, but Jake Wallman is not going to be healthy to start the season as we heard from Steve Eiserman. So that leaves an open spot. So maybe that's where Simon Edmondson can kind of step in. And then you see where it goes from there, right? If he ends up having to go back to Grand Rapids, that's also not the end of the world. I think people tend to forget that he's almost, Edmondson is almost a year behind what Mo Sider did. Sider played a year in the AHL and a year in the SHL, which really helped his development. If Edmondson makes the team this year, he's coming after one year in the SHL. So he's a little bit behind what Mo was when he stepped into the NHL. Obviously, Edmondson getting there late kind of limited things, which sucks a bit. But was were you picking up on any communications between the coaching staff and him about specific things he might need to work on uh, if he were to make the Red Wings this season? I think it was the, the stuff that I picked on or picked up on was mostly about his size, right? He's his height is there. He's a big dude. And Steve Eiserman said he looked thicker than what he had anticipated. And I think that's what it's been all about working on your skating, make sure you're a strong skater and then make sure that you're built. You have to be able to battle against NHL caliber players. So I think it's all about just, just getting stronger in this time period, especially from now to September, playing in the world juniors, gaining some confidence and then coming right into training camp. I think that can only be great for. Simon Edvinson, but I, I didn't pick up on too much, but because of the fact that he was only there for the one day, but I know he's here. He's working out at little Caesars arena regularly, and he's going to be here until the world juniors. And I 
would imagine that they're going to work on his skating abilities and they're definitely going to be working on getting him built, like building him up because him and Mo one day are going to be a crazy tandem. It's going to be fun to have them both on the blue line. And, you know, Danny Clerio is telling us like he, he, this kid's going to compete for Norris trophies one day. And we already think that about Mo. So just imagine if it's both of them competing for a Norris one day. It's a good problem to have. Wouldn't hate it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, also wanted to ask you if you had any observations about Dylan James, uh, their 40th overall pick this year. Uh, Dylan James, it didn't stand out in any way that was um, like I, he didn't catch my eye and I wasn't like, oh, my goodness, Dylan James. But that being said, he played well. I didn't see him making any mistakes or anything like that. He seems like a solid, gritty style player, like somebody that's going to go to the hard areas and, you know, knows how to get in front of the net. That's exactly the kind of style that I see him playing. And that's exactly how Chris Draper described him to us when we had him on after the draft on the word on Woodward. So, yeah, I think he. He's a great pick. We actually talked to Craig Button today. He's going to be our Word on Woodward guest for this week, so I'll be putting that out tomorrow. But he is a big fan of the Dylan James pick. And as I said, I didn't get to see too much of him, but Craig Button's a pretty smart guy, and he he really likes the Dylan James pick. So I think that's somebody that you're definitely going to want to keep your eye on, too, as we progress. Before we get into some more, uh, you know, broader Daniela thoughts here, there are, of course, uh, a lot of returning players from the previous draft class and those before. I'm thinking of guys like Carter Mazur, who had, you know, an excellent year. Red Savage, who people remember uh, for name alone, but obviously he's a, another strong player, maybe in the same mold. Niederbach, Dower Nielsen, any of those guys, how did they stand out to you? And are there anywhere you think Red Wings fans might be seeing them sooner rather than later? Um, Theodore Niederbach, I think was excellent. He's actually going to play in Rogla next year too, which he'll be with Casper and Will Wallander over there. So I think that's great. He had, he had a good development camp. He looks really strong. He looks like, you know, that he's somebody that could compete for a roster spot in the next couple of years, along with Wallander too. Wallander looked that way as well, but he's going to play another season in Rogla. I would think that, um, Theodore Niederbach, he was, like I said, excellent. He was, he was pretty good at, at development camp. And I think they're exactly where you would expect them to be. I don't think anybody wowed to the point where they're going to be fighting for roster spots this year, but they're on the right track with their development. And I know that the staff is really happy with where they're at and they were happy that they got to see them here in person. All right. So to get off of development camp specifically and to get more in the Red Wings is the most important part of any off season leading up to the season is the vibes. So given that Steve Eisman had a good draft and killer free agency, obviously the vibes have come up in the fan base a whole hell of a lot. And there's kind of this feeling in the social world that we haven't had in a very, very long time as Red Wings fans. What were the vibes like around the building, around development camp staff and, you know, just everybody who was close to it this week? Everybody is really excited. They have the same excitement right now that the fans do. I think that they know that it, it, you need to be cautiously optimistic, right? Because you can be excited about all of the moves. You can be excited about the young guys coming up. You don't know exactly how that's going to translate until you actually see it happen, right? But in my mind, there's no way that we're not going to see a better product on the ice, right? With the free agents that 
are coming in. David Perron, he, he's an elite level player. He knows how to play at the highest level. He's won a Stanley Cup. He's going to help our power play. Andrew Kopp is a great player that's so excited to be here in Detroit. And I know Ben Sherratt might be the deal that if there were any criticism to free agency, that would be the contract that received a little bit of it. But I don't, I, I love the deal. I think Ben Sherratt is the type of defenseman that the Red Wings don't have, right? Like they've got Mo Sider, they've got Philip Peronik, who's going to be good. Simon Edvinson, if he makes the team. All of them play a similar style. They're not stay-at-home defensive defensemen, and that's exactly what Ben Sherratt is. He's going to be really tough for other forwards to play against. You guys know this. How many times are you watching a Red Wings game and somebody scores right in front of the net without even being challenged and someone scoring on the Red Wings? And, you know, Ned's left out Drives there. me crazy. Yeah, Drives right. Me so crazy. I think that is st- – Everybody knows that. Steve Eiserman knows that. This team needs to be better defensively, and Ben Sherratt is going to be the kind of guy that makes it tough for other teams' forwards to score in those areas. You don't want to allow them in those areas, and that's the guy that's going to help there. Basically, what I'm saying is, yes, be excited. Everyone's really excited. There is no reason not to be, but make sure that it's in, it's within reason. I don't think I'd be you know, shooting for the playoffs next season. Of course, that's always the goal with any NHL team, but just be happy if this team progresses in the right direction because if they make steps forward this year, they're just that much closer, and we know that they're going to get there. There's so many good players coming up through the system. Steve Eiserman's shown that he's willing to spend the money when it's necessary. So it's coming, and this year is definitely going to be the start of it, no matter what the results are, whether that's playoffs or, you know, as long as they're competing again. I think that's what everybody wants to see. So you you answered what kind of success would look like for the Red Wings here. Uh, and I, I know we've had a lot of conversations in previous years just for the sake of having it is could they make the playoffs? But in the back of your head, you're saying, no, not with right. this team. Yeah. But with this roster that Eisman has put together, I don't think that's so crazy anymore. Were you surprised when the signing started to come in, that fact that Eisman chose to move so firmly in this direction to improve this team with so many significant free agent signings? I think I was a little bit surprised, to be honest with you. I, the Andrew Kopp deal did not surprise me at all. I think we all kind of anticipated that one coming. Andrew Kopp's a hometown kid. He wants to be here. Five-year deal is great. He's in his prime. We've seen what he can do. And I like that. We knew that we needed a second-line center, right? We knew that Steve Eisenman was going to do his best to find that. And then Marco Casper can come in in a few years, too. So you're getting depth at that center position as well. Michael Rasmussen, Joe Valeno, Pew Suter. So all of a sudden, you've got this list of centers where last year when we were trying to talk about centers, it was like, you know, Mitchell Stevens gets hurt and you're kind of like, okay, who's coming in now? Like who, who's going to play center for us? And I think the biggest thing that Steve Eiserman did is add depth. And when you talk about the playoffs, right. And making that push, you have to have depth because injuries are going to happen. Like it's just, it's the reality of the sport and it's got to be, okay, who's that next man up? And you start to look at not only what's going to be on the Red Wings roster, but what's going to be in Grand Rapids as well. And you start thinking, okay, like, yeah, that could be possible. They could make a playoff run because they have enough depth to do that. And I think that's why Steve Eisenman did what he did in free agency. Yes, I was a little bit surprised at how many deals, but they were all really reasonable deals to me. I think Dominic Kubelik, that's one that you didn't, you didn't expect him to come in. We don't know if he's going to hit his ceiling here in Detroit, but it is a fresh start for him. He has scored 30 goals in a season before. So this might be exactly what he needs. And like I mentioned, David Perron, he's going to add that veteran presence. He's going to score some goals for us too. I just think it, it, they were great signings. Didn't expect all of them to happen. 
great deals too. Most of them very reasonable contracts. And on top of that, the depth is the most important thing. And I think that's what makes the Red Wings more interesting now, right? Because if someone does get hurt, you know there's somebody that can come in and do the job. And not to mention, Robbie Fabry's not starting the season. He's going to come back at some point. Again, he's come back from ACL injuries before, so I expect him to come back and be able to play. So generally, if a team makes a surprise run at the playoffs, it's because a few guys overperformed expectations. So who's your dark horse for this year, whether they were a Red Wing last year or if it's one of the new signings come in, just that guy that everybody has this expectation for him, but he exceeds that and, you know, as a catalyst towards a possible playoff run. Ooh, this is a good question. This is a really good question. Is it okay? Is it fair to pick Jacob Verana just because we haven't really seen him in a full season yet? And I think we all have high expectations for him, but I think he could really be like an X factor if he does come out and score 30 plus goals a season, right? Or, um, and if he doesn't, that could be something that the Red Wings are looking at too. But I think he's going to be a huge X factor moving forward. And, I think we are going to be happy with his performance, obviously. I I think he's given us every reason in the book to believe that when he's in the lineup for a full season, he's definitely going to make a difference and be a goal scorer. So he would probably be mine, not to say that he's going to overperform, but I think he's going to meet the standards that we've all set for him. If that Was that a way to answer it without actually answering it? Was that a good answer? Am I pulling a Steve Eisenman right now? It was... was Yeah, that was the Steve Eiserman special for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, Daniela, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, it's always really, really great to catch up and uh, for for bringing the kind of inside access. Uh, it's really appreciated, especially from Development Camp and your thoughts from beyond. Uh, folks, if you're not already doing it, follow Daniela Bruce on Twitter at Daniela Bruce underscore. Uh, her work can be found with the Red Wings and the Tigers. Also, the word on Woodward, which she hosts, of course, with Art Regner. Um, Daniela, tell us a little bit more about where people can uh, listen to and see you. Well, the word on Woodward is uh, the biggest show that we do. And like I said, an episode with Craig Button is coming out. So make sure you look out for that. It's posted on Red Wings when it's a Red Wings interview. It's on their YouTube channel. When it's a Tigers interview, it's on the Tigers YouTube channel. And I always tweet out a clip and a link and um, makes it easy for everybody to find it. So keep your eyes out for that. And like you said, follow me at Daniela Bruce underscore because somebody who has no profile picture and has never tweeted before has Daniela Bruce. So yeah. We'll get on that. All right. Thank you, Danielle. Thanks, guys. And that was Daniela Bruce. Appreciate her jumping on the show. Uh, genuinely, we're, the Red Wings uh, community is very lucky to have Daniela reporting for the Wings and the Tigers. I know, although the Tigers lately. Oh, man. The Tigers feel like um, end of Ken Holland era Red Wings right now. Weren't they supposed to be good? Mm, sure. I don't know how anyone could have reasonably have told you that, but sure. No, I don't know. I've- End of Ken Holland era Red Wings uh, featured, you know, there there were Stanley Cups in the Ken Holland era. This feels like... No, no. I mean like final year or two. No, this feels like current Buffalo Sabres where it just never seems to end. Yeah. Anyhow, uh, we're very fortunate to have Daniela Bruce uh, reporting. So if you're not already, uh, give her a follow, like I mentioned. And uh, of course, there's so, so, so many talented sports broadcasters and analysts out there. But I think she'd be a fantastic addition to uh, any broadcasting crew. So uh, appreciate her coming on. And we'll, we'll of course, have plenty more uh, with Daniela in the coming weeks, months, etc. 
Okay, some other minor Red Wings news. Uh, Jake Wallman's arbitration date has been set. That is August 11th. So that's actually notable for one small reason in that that's the last possible day for arbitration dates. They actually start on July 27th, which is under a week from right now. So the Red Wings have way more lead time to... Fake arbitration, basically. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the Red Wings have way more lead time to work something out with uh, with Jake Wallman. So uh, good that they have that more time. But uh, like we mentioned last episode, that doesn't really seem to be a high impact thing. Like you're not talking mega dollars here. It's arbitrary. Nice. Hey, that was good, buddy. You, that was on the spot? I'm packing heat today. <laughs> oh, boy. You didn't golf today. No, but I took two allergy pills, so watch out. <laughs> Surprised you didn't kick through my front door. Bro, I, I pre-planned it. I had to mow the lawn today, so I, I took two. I'm you sure. You guys call me the old one. <laughs> that, Brad, that's the bit. It's like Evan and I are closer to the grave than you are. You are freakishly young in every way. It makes us angry, and that's why we take it out on you. Yeah. So you know. Yeah, I, I'm starting to see that very clearly. <laughs> All right, folks. Uh, before I get too uh, much more aware about myself, let's jump into our uh, sponsor for this episode of the Wing Wheel Podcast. It's proudly brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook, sponsor that gives hockey fans what we really need, even more excitement. There's so many reasons why FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. They're simple to use with great odds on different betting markets, giving you more action every game day. Plus, they're tons of fun with unique bet types like same game parlay and exclusive promos on the biggest events. And when you win, you get your winnings back safely in as little as 24 hours. Now listen to this. FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just place a bet on any game and FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back in site credit if you don't win that first bet. If you win, you keep the cash. If you lose, you'll get up to $1,000 back in site credit. Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app today to get started with that risk-free bet of up to $1,000 and be sure to sign up with promo code WWP so they know the Winged Wheel podcast sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code WWP. Must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First online real money wager only. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, or Virginia, Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789, 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. Time for Brad's favorite game. <laughs> Hypothetical trade scenarios let, let's rewind here a little bit uh the calgary flames lost johnny goudreau in a pretty heartbreaking way seems like a guy who even though he had ties to the eastern seaboard at the states wanted to play for the philly that was pretty public knowledge uh, looked like he was open to being loyal to the calgary flames the team that drafted him took a chance on him developed him etc and over the past couple seasons has flirted with the idea of signing long term Based on the Players' Tribune article that came out, I think a lot of uh, a lot of the pandemic and a lot of personal stuff. He mentioned a, a pretty sad thing with his his dad, who had a pretty uh, bad heart attack, and that was scary for him and family and everything. And I think that's something a lot of people can relate to over the pandemic. That's why he went back to, I mean, Columbus, but just to be closer to family and make it easier for to see them and for them to see him. So Calgary loses a one hundred and fifteen point player you know, franchise player for nothing as a UFA, which is pretty much a nightmare scenario. Think what you want a Bradshaw living, but you have to feel for him. Like he just lost his player where you can't blame him for hanging on to him and he's gone. Yeah. What are they going to do? Trade him at the trade deadline? They just, 
I mean, it didn't go as planned with the Edmonton Oilers, but they were a cup contender going to those playoffs, and he's coming off a 115-point season. That would be one of the most roasted moves ever by a GM if he dealt him at the trade deadline, right? And it doesn't seem like Goudreau gave him any indication beforehand that he was going to walk. It, it, I think he almost described it literally as an 11th hour decision. Fast forward a little bit. Matthew Kachuk is not going to sign long-term in Calgary. So what they've done is elect for arbitration and they've just bought themselves time with that. So his arbitration date, I think technically is the same as Jake Wallman's, um, but they are going to see, well, they're in the midst of uh, negotiating trades across the league for Matthew Kachuk, another 100 point winger. And that is their team by and large down the drain gone good thing for flames fans is that they can get something back for kachuk but anyhow uh goudreau left he was available in a free agency kachuk's a little bit different he's 24 years old and he plays a style of game and red wings fans will be familiar with this because of tyler bertuzzi hard nose in your face productive pretty much does everything you want a player to do on the ice <laughs> to get ahead of myself here that's the steve eisman game um that he looks for with the red wings what is next for Calgary in dealing Matthew Kachuk and where is he likely to go in your mind? Well, all indications point to St. Louis. Obviously, he grew up in St. Louis, his family still resides in St. Louis. And well, honestly, St. Louis is still a really good hockey team. So why would you not want to situate yourself there? That seems like the most likely destination that Matthew Kachuk would choose. Who's the best suited trade partner for Calgary? Well, that depends what Calgary's mindset is. Like you laid out, they lost Johnny Goudreau. Now they're going to be, quote unquote, losing Matthew Kachuk. Is that the catalyst of a rebuild? Or because hockey's such a team sport and you still have you know 90% of the team together and they were a cup contender, do you try to replace Goudreau and Matthew Kachuk with more currently good top-level NHL players that you can plug into the lineup and play right away. So if they're looking to get good or stay good, sorry, St. Louis would make sense because, you know, St. Louis could throw a Jordan Cairo or, you know, they just extended Robert Thomas, probably not him, but a good player that could plug into the lineup now um, that should, that has some team control as well, which obviously matters. And I'll, you'll, I'll explain more why that matters when we get to the Detroit hypothetical. If they're looking for futures, you know, New Jersey might be the best bet here. Not necessarily because they have the best prospect pipeline, but they have a very strong pipeline, a lot of their own picks still. And they seem very intent on being contenders ASAP. You know, they made a lot of moves. They went out and signed Palat. They've made a couple trades. They struck out on Goudreau. But if they can get a Matthew Kachuk in there, that's a hell of a consolation prize. So they're, if Calgary, if, Calgary wants futures. New Jersey could easily facilitate that trade, and they seem to have the motivation to do so. They seem like they would be happy to overpay to get a player of Matthew Kachuk's caliber right now. So wherever Matthew Kachuk ends up, they're probably going to have to move money out, and they're going to have to give up significant assets, and they're going to want an extension in place. Yeah. They're going to goal is to trade him before the arbitration. Yeah. So he can sign the extension. Exactly. So if, you know, they get a seven or an eight year extension, then you're trading for, you know, seven, eight years of Matthew Kachuk guaranteed. And that obviously drives the value of that trade way up. 
that's where Matthew Kachuk comes in because, you know, you could say, oh, how much control does he actually have here? He has all of the control here. Because if he says, I'm only signing an extension with this team or this group of teams, that's what Calgary has to work with because they'll get better offers. Even if, even in a smaller pool with only a few teams competing each other with each other against a rental. We've had this same conversation many, many times about Tyler Bertuzzi. Matthew Kachuk is almost the souped-up ultimate version of Tyler Bertuzzi, right? Yeah, yeah, it's not a bad way to describe it. Honestly, he's the same type of player, but way better at it. He doesn't have the restrictions around where he can play right now that Tyler Bertuzzi does. That Tyler Bertuzzi does, and you know he's he's due a contract much like Tyler Bertuzzi. So there's a lot of moving parts on this, a lot of things that complicate the situation, but also a lot of things that unfortunately simplify the situation just in no ways we'll be able to see. Yes or no, Matthew Kachuk is the caliber of player where it doesn't matter where you are in the rebuild, you have to call and see if you can get him for a reasonable price. <laughs> Absolutely. You have to kick tires. He's a 100-point player. Are you okay? So that that's a big point of division. Before we get into like you know possible trade rumors and everything, because the obvious qualifier here, and I know a lot of people are going to be angry, um, is that Detroit's probably not too high in the list of places Matthew Kachuk would want to go, or you can't bank on that. We haven't had any indication, and there's only so far you can go in hypotheticals. But Matthew Kachuk's 100 point performance came on a line with Goudreau and Lindholm, two phenomenal players. Do you believe the 100-point performance we saw from Matthew Kachuk this past season is the kind of player, more or less, that you can expect, or is this an aberration? Because I've seen a lot of argument about that. He doesn't have the speed of a Connor McDavid. He doesn't have a shot of an Austin Matthews. But, I mean, he could, he's could. he got the tools, I think, to be a point-per-game player for his career. And he doesn't do it in the sort of normal fashion that a lot of current NHL players produce points. Like... He plays the game differently than than the majority of the league, and I think that's also an intangible that he has as well. The analytics on Matthew Kachuk back up his his performance quite a bit. Like his impacts on the ice are phenomenal, and not it's not like oh he's only crashing the net or he's only shooting from the top of the left circle. Like all over the offensive zone, this guy's there, um, and he does seem like he produced on that line, which you know. That line in Calgary was probably over the course of the season the best line in hockey or up there. E- easily the best line in hockey. So then it's like, okay, how much of that was driven by Goudreau? How much of that was driven by Lindholm? And I know, Brad, we were chatting about this pre, pre-podcast. pre You have some concerns about the, a team giving up the farm for this guy when there's no guarantee that he can do the same thing elsewhere. Yeah, it's not that I don't like Matthew Kachuk, because I really do. And I do think he is one of the best wingers in the NHL. But before this season, he never hit a point per game. And then all of a sudden in a year where, let's be honest, there was a lot more 100-point scores than there normally is, and scoring was up all over the NHL for whatever reason. He hits 104 points playing on the best line in hockey. You know, I don't know if I, I fully believe it, but you can make the argument he was the worst player on that line, which is really saying something because, you know, <laughs> the other two guys are phenomenal. So that's not really a knock on Matthew Kachuk, but just, you know, a testament to the strength of his line mates. Now, that being said – Kachuk Lindholm I could be talked either way on that one you take Kachuk off of that line hypothetically and drop him with Larkin and Raymond is Matthew Kachuk a point per game player yes probably is he a 104 point score 
Almost certainly not. He's the type of guy who we've talked about at length isn't going to drive your line, but he is going to amplify it to the best it can be, if that makes sense. You know, Matthew Kachuk will make Larkin and Raymond or whoever he's playing with better. But if you put him with, you know, Pew Suter and, you know, Jacob Rana, yeah, he's probably not a point per game player. That's just the reality of his game and the reality of the NHL. And the fact he only has one hundred, like, I won't even say hundred point, one season north of a point per game is a little concerning because Calgary is going to ask a return on him as if he's a consistent 104 point player, as they should. Like if if I were Bradtree Living right now, yeah, I'm not looking at a single season other than this one when I'm negotiating his trade. Like, yeah, I'm giving you a 104 point winger, one of the best guys in his position with all the intangibles you could ever want in a player. I'm taking your whole farm system and your best player in a trade. Now, if I'm the Red Wings, is there a reason to trade for Matthew Kachuk? Absolutely. I've talked about this at length. When an elite talent becomes available, and you already asked the question, yeah, you go explore that option because it doesn't come available option. And even though I don't think Matthew Kachuk is a consistent 100-point player, he's an elite player. And the Red Wings could use all they can get, but again... The acquisition cost is going to be enormous, so it might not be worth it. The way I view Matthew Kachuk is even if he won't be a 100-point player on, let's say, this version of the Red Wings' first or second line, he'd be on the first line, um, it's not easy to score 100 points, even if you are playing with Lindholm and Goudreau. You were right, Brad. He's elite, and he's one of the best wingers in the league. A maximizer, I think you said he amplifies, he's, he's a maximizer of the game, but he doesn't do it quietly. Like he is that, he gets described as a unicorn a lot. And I, th- and I know Red Wings fans, we hear Elmer Soderblom get talked about as a unicorn, but think of of Kachuk and like to a lesser degree, like you said, Brad Bertuzzi, like grit, bite, snarl in your face, will punch you in the face, will slash you, will piss you off, will throw you off your game, will lay the body, whatever. Sounds Offense. like a good player for St. Louis. <laughs> he would fit in offensive defensive zone both ends of the ice five on five on the power play is a good impact and he's productive he can set the play up he can finish he he has done it all i know it's just one season but it's enough where yeah i'll agree you gotta call and ask now let's talk about the first things that would come out of brad Living's mouth and you cannot blame him for wanting this any good gm would do it they'd ask about cider and raymond which are non-starters non-starters but looking across the red wings the rest of the red wings prospect pool there's a lot to work with their 2023 first round pick you know the red wings aren't the worst team in the league anymore where that pick has Connor bedard's name all over it or michkov's name all over it that pick by rights right now assuming they don't have lottery luck which they have never had is probably somewhere what 11 to 15 I would actually mm-hmm. jump out your window if they won the lottery. No, uh, yeah, I, we. I'd be if right behind you. They traded that pick. I would. Yeah, there's a deck there now, so that's no longer a, a soft. I'll landing. have to jump <laughs> up first. To yeah, <laughs> make up for the distance and falling. Um, that pick is a lot more in play now, and Calgary would want that unprotected. You don't want to think about it, but you have Edvinson coming up. You have Casper that was just drafted. I personally would shy away from moving those, but. 
then there's Tyler Bertuzzi. There's either one of their next two first round picks. They are, there's Berggren, there's Johansson and Wallander. There's a lot that could be had here and Detroit has the cap space and look at Eisman's pedigree and his, his reputation around the league. You can see a player like a Chuck. I don't think it's crazy to see a player like a Chuck buy into what the Red Wings are putting together. He could see a first line to play on. Dylan Larkin and Lucas Raymond, okay, maybe that's not Lindholm and Goudreau, but if I'm Matthew Kachuk, I'm looking on that, at that line and saying, oh yeah, I can do some work here. I think there's a possible fit here, removing the obvious bias towards St. Louis and removing the obvious bias towards Ottawa to play with his brother. I think there could be a potential fit here where I don't think it's crazy to talk hypotheticals. As long as this is good, I'm sure Kachuk's going to be traded mid-episode with Detroit. So, I'm kind of down to get crazy on this one. You also didn't uh, remove the bias about how it's the summer of Pierre. It is the summer of Pierre. Hot Pierre summer. Yep. Pierre Dorian has been unleashed. The Melnick, uh, the Melnick. The Melnick muzzle well, has been unleashed. Yeah, like Eugene Melnick's gone and he's just, we've said like, oh, maybe it was just Melnick the whole time. <laughs> it's certainly looking like it right now. Anyhow, what would it take Let's exclude Cider. Let's exclude Raymond. What would it take to land Matthew Kachuk if you're Steve Eisman? Well, I'll start with the uh, trade that's been thrown in my mentions a billion times, which is some variation of Bertuzzi, Heronic, the 2023 first, and Berggren, or some slight variation of that. And I will say straight up, got no chance Calgary's adding that, uh, accepting that. Absolutely zero chance. One, we got to establish some trade value on some Red Wings assets. Tyler Bertuzzi is a very good hockey player, and if Calgary wants to win now, will be very appealing. He's one year away from unrestricted free agency. He's in the exact same position as Matthew Kachuk, so Calgary probably doesn't view him as a significant asset in a trade right now. Maybe there's like a a bilateral, like Matthew Kachuk extends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. You can make it complicated to work, but NHL GMs generally don't tend to be that creative. (laughs) So as much as as good of a hockey player as Tyler Bertuzzi is in he's like in a trade, he's probably worth a late first round pick right now, which is not a lot towards Matthew Kachuk. I disagree. I I think, especially for a team that's crunched, I'm not, I'm going to, for a, for a contender versus Calgary right now, these are two very big distinctions. That's fair. I think in general, Bertuzzi could be had for a mid first. Yes. If there's a team that believes, fancies themselves contenders, which I don't know if Calgary will right now. Bradshaw Living is going to be fighting for his job, man. No, I know. And that's what I mean, because, but here's where the trade proposals I've been getting tend to fall apart with Bertuzzi, because it depends on Calgary. And this is why it's way more complicated than people think. Are, is Calgary going for it? Well, you're not giving up a package of Bertuzzi and nothing but futures. If Calgary wants to rebuild, well, then they don't want Bertuzzi. You know what I mean? Because he's a, he's a now piece. So if you, if Calgary decides they rebuild, you have to look at a good young player. And I think the youngest good player the Red Wings could afford to part with that might fit what Calgary's looking for would be Verona. But here's the thing with Verona. He is not valued nearly as highly as he is around the rest of the league as he is in Detroit right now because of sample size of time he's played in Detroit. We all love Jacob Verona. His trade value right now around the league is, I guarantee you, lower than you would think. So if that's your first piece, 
and it's not a super significant piece, at least relative to Matthew Kachuk, guess what? This trade's not going anywhere until you start talking multiple of Edvinson, Casper, and that 2023 first. And again, this is if Calgary wants to rebuild, which is I don't think what they want to do. Because that's a futures trade. Edvinson could contribute this year. Casper won't. That 2023 first definitely won't. Do you go down the Red Wings pipeline? Yeah, there's probably players in there like Berggrind and Johansson and, and some other players they might like. None of them are impact players this year. So, you know, when you're looking at value, would Bertuzzi, Casper, and that 2023 first get it done? Yeah, I think that's about what Calgary would be looking for. I, you know, I think it was Max or Prashanti pointed out the Eichel trade might be a really good comparison for this and and that's the best comparison i've heard so far uh so it'll be one-to-one to to vegas (laughs) yeah honestly and what did they give up peyton krebs who was a mid to high first round pick in terms of talent alex tuck who is a very good young player and a first round pick that's that's your benchmark so if you think peyton krebs jonathan berger and do not equal you're you have to pick a better prospect than that that's the reality of it unfortunately uh, I'm going to read a couple of uh, packages that Prashant Iyer put together on Twitter. And the first one he said probably needs a little bit more added, but that was Bertuzzi Heronic, an NHL ready prospect in a first, and then said, you know, add more to that. And then if the re- that's Calgary's, we're trying to win now. Yes, that yeah. makes sense. Rebuild package, Casper, Edvinson, Niederbach, 2023 first, 2024 third, which is what you were talking about. About that, yeah. Here's where I am. And I'll, I'll let you chime in in a second here, Evan, but here's where I am. I understand and believe firmly that if you have a chance to get Matthew Kachuk at something that is stomachable for your team, I think you should do it. I think you should do it. And I think the Red Wings are just barely, but inside that window now where, yeah, if you're trading for an elite 24 year old winger, you should consider it. Someone said, why are you talking about, you know, Kachuk with some uh, uh, modicum of enthusiasm, but not Goudreau. Goudreau's older by a good margin. Kachuk can still fit into your timeline and not move everything up. Um, I am really nervous about the idea of including a, a, a Casper in that deal. And I get it. Like that's probably asinine in terms of like overall ceilings and things like that. But that is the first answer to the hot, like top six center problem that the Red Wings have had in a long time. And so hypotheticals that include him, I totally get why you would include it. Me personally, that's, that's where my like teeth start to chatter. I think the 2023 first unprotected is significant, but that's that's very well in play. Um, and like you said, Brad, it's going to be so firmly colored by what true living goes for. The only thing I'll say is I think sometimes people apply too much logic here. Sometimes GMs do weird stuff and they take mixed bag trade offers where they get half a one six or half a dozen of one six of another and, and they try like both approaches. Does it make sense? No. Does it sometimes work out? Yeah, sure. Um, I. I I wouldn't I wouldn't prescribe one model here if that makes sense. No, and it's really difficult to predict because I think Calgary's, you know, their landscape's changing day by day almost hour by hour and I'm sure Brad Tree Living's mindset is doing the same thing. So, you know, I really feel for the guy and you're right, he might do something weird here, but you know, you can't come up with hypotheticals on the, oh, this GM is just going to do something dumb because 90% of the time they don't, you know, Jim Benning's not in the league anymore. We all crazy trade 
proposals have to at least be tempered now. Shirelli from the top rope. (laughs) (laughs) But then you get into the, you know, cost versus need. Because here's, here's the crux of it. The Red Wings have, I would say, three prospects good enough that I think they would get the needle moving for Calgary. And all of them are at more premium positions than Matthew Kachuk, the winger. Marco Casper looks like the answer to that center problem they have we have had for over half a decade. You are not drafting Marco Casper to move Marco Casper. You know, you were so desperate for center, you finally have one. That doesn't make sense to me. Defense and the premium that comes out at the NHL right now, and especially considering the Red Wings don't have a left defense star in on the team or in the system outside of Simon Edvinson, doesn't make a ton of sense to move him. And then you have the wild card in net with Sebastian Cosa. One, Markstrom still got some term left on his contract, so I'm not sold that Calgary would be interested in Cosa. Um, but the Red Wings sure seem to be, and you know they spent a huge uh, pick to get him. So would it make sense to move a goalie for a winger? Maybe, but probably not. And that's just you know in a bubble. Plus, you're adding the 2023 first, which gets to the point of: Are the Red Wings better than the ten worst teams in this league? My answer would be probably. But I'm not certain of that yet, even with all the improvements they've made. Because here's the thing. They still play in the Atlantic. Do you know what other teams improved in this offseason? Ottawa and Buffalo. And then you have the four playoff teams in the Atlantic that I'm pretty confident the Red Wings still aren't better than. So there's still a reality here, a very good reality, where the Red Wings are a significantly better team than they were last year. Yeah, but they're still... And they finished seventh in the Atlantic. Yeah, yeah. It's still I wouldn't call it a- seventh, but they're... Yeah, I don't think that's likely. I still imagine they finish ahead of one of Buffalo or Ottawa, but I don't think it's crazy to say they don't. They'll finish much better, in my mind, relative to the rest of the league, but not so much relative to their division. But the thing is, if the rest of their division is taking points from them, they might not shoot up the standings. And they might not shoot up the point totals, which will affect draft slot. Because if you leave your 2023 pick unprotected and you're in the bottom 10, that could be the makings of one of the worst trades in hockey history. Straight out the window. Straight out I the would, window. You would never find me. Um, <laughs> Podcast is over. Yeah. So would, would I move? I would absolutely move that 2023 first protected. And if I, you're protecting it. You're including one of the, the top picks from the last And this years. is where the whole trade scenario falls apart for me. Yeah, because yeah. there's no way I'm putting an un-20, unprotected 2023 first in there. And there's no way I'm putting Casper or Edvinson in there. I understand how good Matthew Kachuk is. And I'm not discounting that. But he's a winger, and the Red Wings have a serious problem in the future at center and left defense, and they only have essentially two solutions there right now. At like the top of the line. Yeah, yeah, the depth for days, but the Flames don't care about depth, and the Red Wings, by and large, don't care about depth when you're talking in a potential Matthew Kachuk trade, right? So yeah. Matthew Kachuk makes all the sense in the world for the Red Wings, but I, for the life of me have not been able to construct a trade that I think Calgary would accept that makes sense for the Red Wings. Because again, if they're willing to sit here and go, oh yeah, we, we're huge on Jonathan Bergen. We love Tyler Bertuz. We, we need win to win now. We have a hole at right defense. Let's throw in Philip Peronik. Sure, you could get there. I don't think Calgary's thinking that. No. They're going to, in my mind, like 
the biggest limiting factor, and Brad opened with this, is going to be what Kachuk wants to do. It's a one of those funny situations where even though he doesn't have the, the clause in his contract, he still is controlling the situation by where he want would go and where he would extend. Because teams aren't, you know, selling the farm for a year. So he's only going to extend where he chooses, and that's going to control what team is willing to give up all the pieces. So you're that's a pretty big handcuff for true living assuming let's let's look at the most likely scenarios here why won't this happen for the red wings one some team is going to offer more likely than than the red wings are willing to give up the red wings have a lot of premium pieces but they are some of the only solutions they have as brad just so eloquently outlined uh two kachuk probably wants to go elsewhere in all likelihood, Detroit's not at the top of the list. And three, you know, True Living's just not going to like what the offer is. Like he, like he said, Brad, and this is, I mean, we're relating back to the first point, but he's probably going to start with Cider Raymond, at which point they hang up. And when they get on the phone again, he's going to say, you know, Edvinson Casper first, 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 and then you hang up again. It's, there's a, there's a, a lot of tight decisions to be made there in the hypothetical where it even reaches Detroit. I mean, the, the flip side of this is you got to spend money to make money. And if you want to make a big splash to grab an elite, uh, an elite winger, then you got to do something uncomfortable. Um, I think it was Wayne or Motown. They said, like, to get to an offer that's probably reasonable, keep adding until you feel squeamish and then add a little bit more. And then you're probably just then in the range of what it would take to get it done. So, I mean, it's a fun hypothetical, but also a good exercise. And you really have to be sure before you give up the farm because it will take the farm to get a player like him. And it could end up being that Calgary gets so handcuffed by Matthew Kachuk and where he wants to go that the return is very stomachable. Yeah, but that might not be Detroit. If Matthew Kachuk's, there's a reality. Matthew Kachuk says, I'm going to St. Louis in a year or I'm going there now. You can make the trade or I'm going to just take my nine mil qualifying offer for one year and then walk in free agency. So Matthew Kachuk has all the cards here and... If I'm Matthew Kachuk in this situation, yeah, my list would not be very long and it probably would not include the Detroit Red Wings. All right, let's talk about, uh, that's enough about hypotheticals. We'll see how the Matthew Kachuk situation unfolds. There is a timeline on this now. So probably within the coming weeks, if not week, we'll see something come through. My final thing here is, yeah, there are the predicted places where he'll go. You know, New Jersey, um, St. Louis, Ottawa, all near the top there. Sure, but no one expected Johnny Goudreau to Columbus. And it's not a one-for-one scenario, of course, but anything can happen in today's NHL. And for a team like Calgary, they're in a tough spot. So it's 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 almost like a cornered animal in my mind. Okay, uh, some trades have happened recently in the NHL. John Marino to the New Jersey Devils in exchange for Ty Smith in a 2023 third round pick. I know John Marino was a player that a lot of people thought maybe the Red Wings would would uh, trade for him. The Penguins move him out, uh, make some cap space, pick up Ty Smith. I really like that trade for the Devils. Um, Ty Smith, you know, after a promising rookie season, really struggled last year. So, you know, it's a good cheap reclamation project for the Penguins. Um, but John Marino is a good player now and the devils are had, you know, that one hole on right defense to slot in behind Hamilton and Severson. Marino's a good player to plug in there. So, you know, for a team looking to turn the corner right now, New Jersey's done it pretty well. And you look at the right side of their D 
Hamilton Severson and Marino. You can come up with three really damn good defensive pairings when you have an entire side blocked like that. That team with goaltending is is doing way more in the standings than they did last year. Well, should have probably got someone better than Vitek Vanacek then. Be- I mean, he could be good, but man, again, like the Leafs, <laughs> you know what there, the- there were safer bets out there. You know what the byline is? There's no salt. There are so few solid goaltending options out there. Like we we approached Huso with a grain of salt because it's like, yeah, small sample and he kind of faltered in the playoffs. Looking now, I'm surprising I'm surprised Eisman only had to give up what he had to give up just to get his signing rights. That yep. was if there was any hesitation before, it should have all be washed away now. Teams are struggling. It is sparse out there. It is actually shocking when you run down the list because Toronto is now putting their hopes in Matt Murray and Elias Samsonov. The reigning cup champs had to go for Alexander Georgiev. You know, the Oilers probably made out the best year because you know what Jack Campbell is, at least. He's not a Vezina contender and he's not the solution to all their problems, but at least you know what you're getting. Same with Washington. Darcy Kemper has been at least an above average NHL goalie for three to four years now. Beyond that, I think Detroit made out the best. I think Detroit made out really, really well here. Yeah, I think Huso is one of the better gambles. Still a gamble, but one of the better gambles. Yeah. And if Vanacek hits in New Jersey, like, yeah, look out. They're, they are primed. They've got their center ice position solved for a long time. The right side of their defense loaded, um, you know, and they have a lot of other really good pieces to work around. I mean, they got Andre Palat, Jesper Bratt. New Jersey is, they just need a save. They are so close to being a really good team. They just need a save. Thinking about, you know, the difference between a GM who knows when to pull the trigger and, and when to make that big boy move. Like, it's a little bit, obviously, we're a Red Wings podcast, so obviously we're going to look favorably on what Eisman does. But it's that so simple as paying a third round pick, but you have to imagine all those teams who had to take gambles on yeah. lower level guys are like, Holy shit, for a third, like, why didn't we just give up the third? You're going to see a lot more. I think you're going to see a lot more GMs do that for goalies in the future. I would not be surprised. I think it might be a strategy for everybody. Just get your guy. We say it and we talk about it in terms of the draft all the time. Just get your guy. Okay, well, that might be the thing for for agency in the future. We want our guy. We're going to give up a mid-round pick. We'll talk to him two weeks ahead of everybody else and pray to God we can get a contract done because there was a lot of teams left holding an empty bucket at the end of this this time around. Uh, and then the Penguins acquired Jeff Petrie and Ryan Paling from uh, Montreal in exchange for Mike Matheson in a 2023 fourth. Yeah. I mean, you're replacing Marino with Petrie, which is probably still an upgrade. Because, you know, Petrie had a bit of a down year last year, but overall a good defenseman. And they negated the, you know, Petrie has an awful contract by moving out another bad contract. And then uh, the move of the day for me, Nino Niederreiter signed a pretty surprising two-year deal. At age 29, I was expecting him to go for more, but it may be one of those guys where the market was drying up around him. Uh, two-year deal at $4 million per in Nashville. I think that's an excellent value contract for Nashville. Phenomenal deal. But Ryan, why didn't 31 other GMs do the same thing? Mm-hmm. No cap space. It's tight right now. It's it's hard. Have you been downtown Nashville? That's why the 31 other teams didn't do it. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of fun, man. Oh, yeah. It it should the, the two things that GMs would give an arm and a leg for. 
a solid starting goalie that you can just set and forget every night. And, and no cap- state income tax? <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's where I thought that joke was yeah. going. No, I, again, I am not clever enough or funny enough. That is, that is solely on you two. I just talk my shit and edit the show. That's all. <laughs> no, it, it's, it. you're right, state income tax, but related, cap space. That equals cap space. Yeah. Okay. Like, uh, my thought was a lot of other GMs would have wanted that deal, but that pool is only as, as big as the GMs who would have had the, the space to do it. You think Carolina didn't want to bring Niederreiter back? No, of course they did. He's a phenomenal player, but that that's really good value for Nashville. Oh, they had lots of cap space, but they just accepted a free Brent Burns and a free Max Pacioretty. Oh yeah, I feel real bad for them. They couldn't. Have, that eight million dollars is going towards the safari that <laughs> Brent Burns brought with him to feed and house all the animals. You're well, big on those animals, huh? His ranch is crazy. What a Patreon Patreon exclusive uh, petting zoo in the Winged Wheel Podcast Studio? How happy would you be? We might see you laugh for the first time. Petting zoo in here. Yeah. I couldn't imagine what that would smell like. Probably similar to what it smells like right now with Brad and his hot pepper subway. It's three animals and we'll just <laughs> yeah, add it make it 10. We're good so far, but I can just open the door and let Abby in if you want. You know she's laying right outside the oh, door I too. That, I would yeah. like that petting zoo. Yeah. Uh, okay. Any other thoughts before we jump into overtime here? No. Okay. Uh, quickly before overtime, the next uh, couple of episodes uh, will continue off-season talk. Uh, tentative on a, a interview for Sunday's episode, but next midweek episode, which I think will be Wednesday, we'll see, uh, will feature the special guest uh, star that we were supposed to have uh, earlier, uh, earlier last week, or earlier this week. I don't know what, but time. Sometime in the past. Yeah. Uh, They are rescheduling to next week. So hopefully for that midweek episode, we'll have them on. So we're really, really looking forward to that. Uh, Stay tuned for more. So let's jump into Overtime, which is brought to you by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. If you want to join the Dub Dub Club, uh, the patrons are the reason this show can continue in the offseason and why we're able to do the cool things we're able to do with interviews. Uh, we have some cool ideas for uh, for some special episodes coming up as we obviously, I mean, the, the offseason is coming to a little bit of a slowdown here, which means we can take stock of the prospect pool and some uh, some trade analysis and things like that. So patrons are the reason that's that's able to happen. So patreon.com slash podcast. If you want to join in on the fun, we appreciate you all so much. Coyote season tickets in Tempe says, which team would you least like to see Kachuk be traded to, assuming that the team doesn't give up too much in getting him? Caveat, of course, is that the new contract could reasonably fit under the cap and the destination is realistic. Ottawa. In division? Yep. I don't want to see him in division, but that would be fun. I'm going to say St. Louis just because I hate when things are predictable. Let's get weird. I I think I'm going to have to go Ottawa. Same thing. Look, you, when you're talking about a hypothetical Kachuk on your team, you're you're viewing the player like in your team's uniform. We're, we're viewing Kachuk when we were doing the hypotheticals of him in the winged wheel. And to us, that's fun. Don't forget, Kachuk is the most hate, one of the most hated players in the league for good reason. And him with his brother Brady, like in your division. that Toronto. Many, well, they can't. They can't. Tavares. No, Nyes, Toronto is always next the three firsts. Answer. I don't Toronto not or Tavares Nyes next three firsts. Does Calgary say yes to that? Who did I? Yes, say? a thousand percent. Yes, they do. If honestly, I think Toronto would love to get away from Tavares's contract. Not oh, they too. absolutely would. Yeah, Calgary's going to want no part of it. But Nyes in three firsts, yeah, that'll 
I'm just I that's was, an acceptable captain. <laughs> I was just thinking of like how how far down those first are going to be. Anyhow, um, okay. Hockey Town Racing Academy says, why are NHL drafts seven rounds long when the majority of prospects don't sniff the AHL? Oh man, they used to be even longer. They used to be double digit rounds. Like Vladimir Konstantinov was like an eleventh round pick, but mostly, yeah, it's just to fill up farm space, and you don't want to go too small and then run into for lack of a better term, supply issues. It's better to have a few too many than a few too little. So I'm I'm okay with it. Uh, okay, Zachary Rogers, new patron. Zachary, welcome to the Dub Dub Club. Really, really appreciate your support. Says, hey guys, new patron. Who do you think out of our prospect pool uh, will make the team automatically? P.S. Evan, you're my guy and the funniest on the show. Evan, is Absolutely. this you? Absolutely. Is this you? Nope. <laughs> 100%. You're... I would... N- no, no. Well, he's I answering would, the question now. You yeah. think I would go through the effort of doing that? <laughs> That's actually like, right. I don't even check my Twitter mentions. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, who uh, You're answering. Brad's right. Of the prospect pool is an automatic. To make it this year? Uh, just the team in general. Or their first year. Where it's no, I don't reasonable. understand the question. Where the first year where it's reasonable for them to make the team. Edmonton well, then, this year, Then anyone they've drafted in the top 10. Like, okay. What, is, what does that mean? Okay. So in Ed- a reasonable timeline? Like... I don't know. At some point, somebody's gonna have to make the team. Look how he just camp. look how he just combusts. One question, he just shuts down. Who's gonna make it this year? I'll say no one. Oh, you don't think Edvinson makes it? I don't know. That's not what I said. <laughs> yes, it is. Maybe. This, we asked this guy a simple prospect question. His brain tries to divide by zero. <laughs> I'll say no one. Who's an automatic? Connor Bedard. Oh, so they're not trading that first round. Pick yeah, <laughs> got it. Uh, I won't go for the easy Ed Vincent answer. I'll I'll say uh, avoiding first round picks. Johansson is going to make the team at some point. I see. There's only a few people. It's like Ed, who the guys who come over from Sweden. I'll allow that, and then anyone drafted this year because everyone else is getting older. All right. This is a lot of passion from you. Well, you're just making this question difficult. I made it more difficult. I'm trying to simplify the pool uh, of, of answers. Zachary, I'm sorry. I butchered your question and now Evan's mad at me. So just to summarize, the question was, who is the one prospect? And Evan's answer was all. Yeah. Oh, well, that's Evan for you. <laughs> um, Full of Ruth says, uh, good afternoon, gentlemen. Kachuk comes with family baggage. Is that a rat's nest Eisman would even want to delve into, assuming Matthew wanted to come to Detroit? Or are we pre- presenting barge poles and pushing that problem far, far away by not engaging? That's a really good point that Ruth brings up. And for those who don't know, Keith Kachuk, Matthew's dad, uh, is a very prominent uh, figure in his son's careers for good reason. He's their dad and they learn from him, et cetera, et cetera. But it is public knowledge that the hard bargains that they drive, he is kind of the head of that. And Evan alluded to this, the Kachuks get what they want in contract negotiations. As they should. Brady held out until the 11th hour with Ottawa. Got the long-term deal done, but it looked dicey there for a second. So, it's kind of a, an immovable object meets an unstoppable force between the Kachuks and Eisman. If you think of negotiation, there's a compatibility question there. So that's a really, really good point. Or it's not. They, one person just says this number, the other one nods, they shake hands, and it's done. But I couldn't imagine it going that way. Um, Matt says, how do you guys hope 
next season will play out. I'm a bit torn since I'd like a chance at Bedard, even if it's uh, small, but it would obviously be nice to not get caved in every night as well. Do you really want them to make the playoffs or maybe just be more competitive while still getting a lottery pick for one more year? I'm going to go first on this one. Logic dictates that, Matt, the, the latter scenario that you brought up is correct. You just hope that they're not terrible. You, you know, you're not watching games that make you lose all hope and they still get a lottery pick because they're in on a potential franchise, if not generational talent or two in Bedard and Michkov. I am going to succumb to the odds here. I'm going to just accept that with as good as the Red Wings are, they are not going to have any appreciable odds for, for Bedard or Michkov. And barring devastating injury in just this tragic season, they're not really going to be a firm lottery team. My genuine hope is that we see a playoff version of the Red Wings. I'm not going to get crazy here and say, oh, I hope they win the cup, obviously. But I hope the stars align and the Red Wings find a way to just squeak in through a PDO bender and overperformance and goalieing the NHL and Boston starts the year terribly and everyone else sucks. That's what I hope. It's naive but i'm sick of losing (laughs) i don't know what i hope for but the best case scenario here is kind of one i laid out earlier detroit improves noticeably so does ottawa and buffalo that whole division takes a lot of points from each other and detroit ends up taking the worst of it then we can all look at the end of the season and go yeah okay they still finished sixth or seventh in division but they were they were good this year. Like, you know, they're hovering around 500 or something. But because of everybody else gaining points around them, they still finish pretty low in the standings. Like, you know, ninth, 10th, worst in the league, somewhere in there. And finally, the lottery gods give us some luck. But that is extremely long odds. But hey, that's best case scenario. I mean, the math kind of dictates that this team won't get shelled as bad as they did last year. You can You can clip that now, by the way. Um, that that'll be playing that again after the first game against Arizona. You hear that ice hockey gifts? Yep, clip that, please. Um, so I imagine the team will be more interesting to watch, even closer to the end of the year. I know how painful it was coming into the last month of the season, and everyone kind of erased it from their memory. But I imagine this team will be a lot more competitive. Whether that. And that doesn't necessarily mean playoffs. At least the games should be a lot tighter. And the team should have a chance to win. Um, mind you, if if that's the case, I'd rather them make the playoffs than finish 13th to 15th. I hate to tell you about the most likely scenario. Yeah, I know. That's how I feel. But if, if they're going to finish there, I'd rather them make the playoffs. Okay, another new patron, Dennis K. Dennis, welcome uh, to the Dub Dub Club. Thank you so much for your support. Really appreciate it. Says another new brand, uh, another brand new patron here. I'd like you guys to discuss the difference. It was a good question between the current asking price for Matthew Kachuk and what teams would have been considering a year ago. Thanks, great show, guys. So Matthew Kachuk was a near point per game forward, albeit young, um, for about four or five seasons there. Right now, what we're basically uh, lining up in a trade for Kachuk is three premium pieces. So we'll say whatever those are, and then a sweetener. So your B-level prospect, second-round pick, whatever. I think if you go back a year on Matthew Kachuk, you're probably taking one of the three premium pieces and downgrading it to one of the B-level prospect-type players. So you could then potentially make that trade 
with Bertuzzi and only one of Edmondson and the first, whatever you want to talk about there. And then, you know, throw in Bergeron and Hironic, hypothetically. I, I don't know. You, you fill in the blanks there. But now because he has that 100-point season, that two premium goes to a three premium. Yeah, I agree. I think it's still quite a high price. It's not like it would be black and white or a complete 180. Um, you're talking about a young player where people aren't really surprised. I think they, they probably would have been surprised by the number 100 whatever points he had, but they wouldn't be surprised if they said at the end of next season um, he'll be one of the most elite wingers in the league. He's been on that trajectory for some time. So that last season was this coming out party. Was it aided by the elite talent he was playing with? Yeah, of course, but find me a situation across the league where that wasn't the case. So I, I think, Brad, your devaluation there was, was probably correct. Evans Bankrupt Parking Garage says, hey, guys, what would you say is your <laughs> ready to fight? What would you say is your most controversial food combos that you each enjoy? Then a combo you think might work and that you should enjoy. Brad, just you just start talking until one of us punches you in the face. <laughs> Pretty much. When we're talking combinations, though, I don't really have anything like. It's literally just onions. Just say onions. No, just take onions <laughs> off of anything and it's immediately better. Oh, look at that. I want to punch him in the face. Yeah, there you, um, go. you know, there's an entire subreddit dedicated to onion hate. There's a lot of subreddits. Yeah, we know you're the moderator. <laughs> we can tell. <laughs> I should be. Um, yeah, you guys might have to go first on this. I'm trying to think of something that I... Odd combinations, eh? Weird pairings. Oh, man, that's tough. I don't. I actually don't know what an odd combo is. I'm willing to try most anything. Me too. That's what's making it tricky. Um, so for those who don't know, we had a big fight on this podcast early years where someone asked the question, if what would be your staple pizza? Like you can only have one kind of pizza for the rest of your life. And I said, if it's the same, Ryan just said pepperoni. Like, well, yeah. And I said, if it's the same for the rest of my life, I'm going to go with the tribe. Might as well be bland. And <laughs> no wait sorry was that the only thing you could eat or the only pizza you the could only eat? pizza you could okay, eat okay. yeah yeah so every time you got pizza it had to be this kind and uh, i said pepperoni which i admitted was like i'm like it's basic but if i have to i'd rather go straight down the middle if i know it's the only kind i can i can see where you're life. going you had an answer which i don't I, even know which i'm sure was reasonable and brad decided to put chicken on his with i think white sauce no i hate white sauce no so just chicken chicken and something or else and look I've had pizzas with chicken on them and they haven't been bad. Actually, if it's done well, it's really good. Thank you. Um, but for the rest of my life, I don't know. I've never been closer to killing you. But then I, you brought up your onion your onion hate and I was just like, oh, I'm done with this guy. <laughs> Anyhow. Uh, I can tell you one thing I don't like that that's a combination of two items that I don't personally like. Okay. Celery and peanut butter. Oh, yeah, it's a bit ants on a log where they put raisins on it, whatever. Oh, definitely not the raisins. Yeah. People, I I don't think I've had it too often. That's very much like a, I don't want to say a child snack, but I can just think of the stringy. Yeah, whatever whatever you have to do to get your kids to eat your vegetables, I can, <laughs> I can understand fully. One of my favorite snacks, no, but if that's how I get my kids to eat it, fine. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> All right, folks, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Uh, thank you for bearing with the trade hypotheticals. And uh, let's see where the world of NHL news takes us. We'd like to thank all of our listeners, uh, new and old. We really appreciate you. We know the uh, the off season is a different kind of content, but we try to have fun with it and 
and mix in some good interviews. And uh, for all of you leaving us reviews on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever, uh, those make a really big difference. So thank you so much for that. Uh, the sponsors of this show, the FanDuel Sportsbook, and all of our patrons. Again, the pulse of the show uh, is dictated by you. So thank you so much. Our name level supporters on Patreon, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefur, the Stay Fresh Cheese Bag, Nick Perks, Nicholas Brodine, Brett Bailey, Terry Driver of the number 69 Crying Ryan, Hannah's Banana Slam and Jamathong, BJ Johnston, Matthew M. Rice, Arjun, Ben Hurd, Brandon M., Carl Brutana, Nana Luski. Uh, ben Hurd, I believe, is a new name level sponsor. Chimmy, Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Craig Kibble, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Evans Farmer Tan, Give Blood Fight Probert, Greach, Hassam Al Qasem, I'd Leave My Wife for Cider, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Kalen Wood, King Tone, Kubalik Her, Hardly Know Her. Kyle Hashman, Marcus, Matt McKay, My Impressive Package, Alameo, Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Scott Martin, Zachary Rogers, brand new name level sponsor. Thank you so, so much. Uh, Sam Bankson, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Adam, Now I Finish Better Than Ernie, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landiscog is a Stanley Cup champion, Ben Barron, Brian Vasha, Connor Leighton, Darren Ficarelli, Dave W., Dungeon Master of Puppets, uh, Evans Bankrupt Parking Garage, Evans Bingo Card, Griffy Boy. I want to take a quick break from the patron names to say ninjas are cool, and by cool, I mean totally sweet. Jack the Bassist, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, Jeremy Brocker, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, Josh Yelton, Justin and the Angry Mob, Carco Masper, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Logan Burgos, Matt Keeler. Logan, you name level sponsor. Welcome. Matt S., Maximilian Cheesebags, Melissa Erickson, Papa Woody, Puck Norris, Revy DeLuca, Thick Rick, Trevor Pevavar, Zach McCann, a driving range superstar. Thank you all so much. We'll see you Sunday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.